The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's get the laughs going with the highly anticipated, much decorated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, I uh, hope you're doing well and everybody out there is doing well. Um, here's a tip. If you uh, get surrounded and attacked by a group of clowns, go for the juggler. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Duff delivering the goods and even the laughs today. Uh, that one was legit funny. Also delivering the music with Guns N' Roses on the road. Go see them this summer. Ticket info at GunsNRoses.com. And Fozzie just announced a huge new gig as well. We're calling it Spotlight on London. We're coming back to the UK, baby. Friday, August 25th at 02 Forum, Kentishtown. Massive Wagons and the Chris Barris Band will be joining us. FozzieRock.com has all the details. AW also in London that weekend. We're live at Wembley Stadium for All In on Sunday, August 27th. So come rock with Fozzie on Friday and take in all the AEW action on Sunday. It is going to be an action-packed rock and roll weekend with Chris Jericho. All right, today on the show, speaking of great wrestling companies, Stardom, one of the hottest promotions in pro wrestling right now. The all-female wrestling company is now owned by Bushy Road, who also owns New Japan Pro Wrestling. That move helped them land one of the biggest free agents in the business, Mercedes Monet. Of course, Sasha Banks and WWE. AEW stars Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter made names to themselves in Japan at Stardom before coming to AEW. So I've got two Stardom experts on the show today to talk all about this huge Japanese pro wrestling women's company. They host the Stardom Cast podcast. You can listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. i got indie wrestler Matt Turner and author Rob Goodwin. He wrote the book Living the Dream, Stardom's 10th anniversary in review. He's got another one in the works, Chasing the Dream, 50 of Stardom's Greatest Matches. He also wrote a book about the Monday Night Wars. So Rob and Matt are going to share some of the history of Stardom and Josie Wrestling and talk about the recent signing of Mercedes and what it meant for the company and for the business in general. They'll break down the matches she's had at Stardom so far. Also got stories about some of Stardom's biggest homegrown talent like Julia, the London-born Japanese-raised superstar, and the three daughters, Kairi, Mayu Iwatani, and Io Shirai. We'll hear what happened with that and talk about WWE's raid of Stardom. Also talk about a couple of the infamous Stardom matches. Kenny Omega wrestling an eight-year-old girl back in 2018. And the Gasly match in 2015 between Ak Yusakawa and Yoshiko that resulted in a broken cheekbone, nose, and fractured orbital socket for Act and Yoshiko being stripped of the title and fired from the company. So let's get started. It's the story of Stardom right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So one of the biggest, uh, most talked about pro wrestling promotions in the world today is Stardom, which is also a kind of a Joshi company, which is a female wrestling company. And I've got uh, Matt Turner and uh, and Rob Goodwin are here, kind of, uh, I'm assuming, uh, Stardom experts. Uh, and neither one of you are Japanese. Nope. So um, first of all, let's talk about how did you become Stardom extras? I, I know you guys have a podcast with Stardom and... Are you involved actually with Stardom as official employees in any way, shape, or form? Kind of give me your background on the company and, and your involvements. Much as I would love to have been employed by Stardom, um, no, we're not. We're not official employees. Maybe this will be the uh, the catalyst. Yeah, absolutely. They're looking for jobs, guys. Come on, Rosie. <laughs> They're looking for jobs. Yeah, if you're listening, guys, um, we're cheap, we promise. But yeah, I've been watching Stardom since about 2019. 
it was a case where my friend watched it first, told me how good the promotion was, how good the in-ring action was, and sort of relentlessly pushed me to watch it. And eventually I did, I tuned in and just absolutely loved it. Obviously, I knew that it wasn't perhaps as well known as other promotions, um, even in Japan over here. So it was a case of, right, well, let's do a podcast. Um, and it was just as COVID hit, we sort of watched, we delved into the history and stuff. And then the person I did the podcast with before, uh, he left. And that was when Matt joined about 18 months ago and just added an entirely new dimension of positivity to the podcast, didn't you, man? So what exactly do you guys talk about? I'm assuming this is a weekly podcast and there's so much to get into with stardom, but is there that much news going on where you guys have, you know, enough material to discuss on a weekly basis or, or whatever it may be on your show? We usually do. What we'll do is we'll do the, you know, we'll do the intro. We'll do the news, what's going on. We'll elaborate on things, what we, you know, what we think, where it's going to go. We'll uh, review the shows that happen uh, that weekend. There's usually shows Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday. So there'll be two or three shows a week. And then we'll preview the shows coming up. And then usually about once a month, they do a pay-per-view as well. And we'll go over, we'll do our predictions. So that's usually our one show a week. Uh, we try to tend to keep it about a little over an hour, but sometimes we uh, we kind of just get going and kind of, you know, elaborate on things. And we kind of, you know, wrap it to the record button. And then, you know, we have the schedule and we have go. And then, so we do that. And then, you know, we also do some recordings, you know, once or twice a week on our Patreon as well. So so, yeah, we're recording, you know, at least twice a week, sometimes three, sometimes four, depending on what the demand is for shows and depending on what's going on with Patreon as well. So let's talk a little bit about the company itself. How did Stardom get to the level that it's at right now? Because obviously there's been many uh, female Japanese companies over the years, starting kind of in the 80s with All Japan Women and New Japan Women and JWP. And there was there's so many Ice Ribbon, et cetera, et cetera. How did Stardom become as big as it is right now to where... You know, it's, uh, one of the biggest free agents in the world, Mercedes Monet, is now, you know, working for New Japan, but essentially for stardom as well. A lot of it is rooted in all Japan pro wrestling. Rossi Ogawa, who is the owner and the head booker of stardom, was, I think he was involved in the latter days of all Japan. He started his own company, JD Star, that went under, and then stardom was sort of born from that. The titles are based on the colors of the all Japan women titles. I would say. Stardom's always been very, very good in ring, but I'd argue that the biggest catalyst to taking that extra step was being purchased by Bushi Road, um, who owned New Japan. So to go under that umbrella was the big first step to really be catapulted into the mainstream. And then obviously, you know, free agent signings like Mercedes Monet, the hype that she brings is always going to bring more money and things to the company. I mean, their latest pay-per-view did ridiculous numbers compared to their normal ones because of uh, Mercedes's involvement in it. But I'd argue that Bushi Road purchasing them was probably the biggest thing that could have happened to stardom. Yeah, you add in to elaborate on what Rob said, Chris. Elaborate on just how great the in-ring product has been for a long, long time, really. I mean, you look back at uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, I mean, the three names that come up in stardom are, you know, what we call the three, three daughters. Io Shirai, Kairi Hojo, now known as Kairi, Mayu Watani. And then, you know, you fast forward a few years later, you have Momo Watanabe and now Julia Sherry. And the roster just completely, absolutely stacked, in my opinion. And I watch a lot of wrestling. And in my opinion, the most loaded roster in any wrestling company in the world from top to bottom, which is unbelievable. And then you even have some of the trainees coming out of the dojo. You see them six, eight months in. You can see their potential. Not only that, but they're training in the dojo with the best and they're working in the ring with the best women's wrestlers in the world as well. You're only going to get better with more reps in the ring with talent like that. What, um, like, let's talk a little bit about more, more about Mercedes Monet. Kind of what was the road that led her to, to being to stardom and talk about some of the matches that she's had there so far? Because obviously it's on the tip of everybody's tongues in the wrestling world, uh, how she even ended up in stardom in the first place. Well, obviously, she left WWE under a cloud, which obviously we're not going to get into now, but she left WWE and she'd always said about how she'd appreciated Japanese wrestling and how she appreciated stardom. I think it was more a case of whether stardom could afford, you know, her match fee and things like that than she wanting to go to stardom she she always wanted to go to japan to test her arm in a japanese ring and then obviously she turned up at wrestle kingdom 17 confronted kairi hojo or kairi as she is now for the iwgp women's championship um signed by um new japan um for a couple of dates um she wrestled kairi at battle in the valley 
um, in February in Los Angeles. Absolutely fantastic match. Really, really, really good um, to the point where people were talking about it above the Okada and Tanahashi main event, which, you know, is a real, real plus when you can outperform that main event. Sure it is. And then she's for Azumi and Hazuki at New Japan Sakura Genesis, where she defended her IWGP Women's Championship. Azumi, who is 20 years old and something of a wrestling prodigy, she's absolutely fantastic. Um, and Hazuki, who is just only seems to have one gear, and that <laughs> is to just hurt you. Doesn't seem to have an off switch, doesn't seem to have... You know, doesn't seem to know that it's just an undercard six-woman tag. Calm down, as you know. She has got to be at that level. And uh, that was another really, really good sprint. And then we've just had All-Star Grand Queendom, which is the biggest show in stardom's history. Huge numbers drawn, fantastic top-to-bottom card. And Mercedes Monet took on Mayu Iwatani um, in the semi-main event, which is... Dream match is something, a word that's sort of thrown about too much nowadays. But Mercedes Monet... Especially a couple of years ago, it was it wasn't possible that Mercedes Monet was going to turn up, or you know, as Sasha Banks as she was then, was going to turn up in another company other than WWE. And yet here we are; she's having the semi-main event match against the icon of stardom. And again, they did a tremendous job, a really, really, really good match. And I think as well, Mercedes has been turning up to shows that she isn't even booked on. She's doing angles in shows that she was had no right turning up on. And um, I think that goes a long way to show how much she's enjoying herself and how much she's loving being in stardom. She's had three matches and so far, three hits. Yeah. And basically, you know, for anybody that's that's really doesn't hasn't watched stardom or understand the Josie scene, basically getting Mercedes Sasha Banks versus Mayu is almost the equivalent of getting Brian da- Danielson versus Okada. It's a dream match that wrestling fans, you know, hardcore Joshi fans have been waiting for, for four or five years. And the timing, I mean, sometimes timing in anything is just perfect. And the timing was just perfect. Just happened to line up with Rossi Ogawa booking Yokohama Arena for the biggest show ever. And they were able to build to it and have an absolutely fantastic match in the semi-main event of the biggest show in the history of starting. Well, it's also the template of Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega in New Japan in 2018. It's kind of almost the same mock-up of that. You know what I mean? So you do get these this dream match you never thought you'd see because she took a chance and went to Japan, which is very cool. And obviously, what arena were they at? You said Yokohama Arena for that show? Yeah, they were. They actually outdrew Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, Chris, from this past year, was in the Yokohama Arena. It was built as New Japan versus Pro Wrestling Noah, and Stardom drew more people in the Yokohama Arena for that show last month than uh, New Japan versus Noah at Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 did. So you have the moniker Wrestle Kingdom, you put that on the marquee with New Japan versus Noah. That's a pretty big deal. Stardom outdrew them in that building. And what was the main event? You said that Mercedes was semi-main. What was the main? Uh, the main event was, so the World of Stardom Championship is the top championship in stardom. Um, and at the time it was held by Julia. So it was Julia versus Tam Nakano. Um, they are very much blood rivals. And in the lead up, they just beat the ever loving out of each other. They really did to the point where Julia bloodied up Tam during a press conference and they were shoot headbutting each other and all Kinda sorts hair. it was really really quite violent um so that main evented and uh they also main evented uh budokan two years ago as well in a hair versus hair match which was also very good so uh yeah that was the main event whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day eggs are a staple in our diets eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Let's talk about uh, Julia. I know a little bit about her, but she is actually... English, right? She's from London, but she's a huge star in Japan right now. But is she, is she half Japanese as well? Kind of talk about her. I believe so. Um, I think she was born in London, but I think obviously a lot of her life was spent in Japan. Most of her life was spent in Japan. She came over from Ice Ribbon in 2019. It was seen as something of a defection. She came into stardom. Stardom, obviously, were very hot on her to start off with. 
She didn't quite get over with the crowd in the way they expected. And then something just clicked. Late 2020, she just clicked and started having hard-hitting brawls. Um, she calls herself the Dangerous Queen. She's the leader of her own faction, Donna Del Mondo, which means women of the world, I believe. Mm-hmm. But she is every inch a star. You you look at people who have that aura, and she comes to the ring, and she has that aura. She's a special, special talent. I know that Tay Conti has said in interviews that she wants to wrestle Julia or she wants to have something to do with Julia. Mm-hmm. You look at you watching matches and everything is so snug and so believable. And the things she puts her body through, the things she puts her opponent's bodies through, it's difficult to watch at times, but it makes you appreciate just how good she is in ring. And she's had countless, countless really good matches, hasn't she, Matt? Yeah, um, I think really where it clicked for her is when uh, she had her feud with the uh, late great Hanukkah Moore, it really seemed like a lot of that really clicked. And we see Julia pay tribute to Hana uh, between, you know, the hair with the braids, sometimes with the gear, the moveset. And as Rob alluded to her, she does call herself the Dangerous Queen, which in the 90s, or Kara Hokuto, that was basically her moniker. And she actually has adopted the uh, Northern Lights bomb as one of her finishers. But you can just tell, um, especially coming off, you know, she won last year's five-star Grand Prix which is basically their version of the New Japan G1 Climax. You can tell, especially towards the tail end of that tournament, just watching her come to the ring. I mean, because you know, as soon as somebody cuts the curtain, like, oh, that's a star. That's somebody can turn heads in airports. Mm. And Julia does that. She has, it's one thing to be good, you know, in the ring bell to bell, but she's good curtain to curtain. And not only does she have fantastic matches, she, you know, she's been a main eventer for the better part of the last two, two and a half years in starting, but she does a great job pulling up the talents that are in the mid card or below card as well and letting them get in a shine as well. So it just seems like everybody just wants to be in the ring with Julia for several different reasons. One, they're going to look good. And two, you're going to be in a, in a big spotlight with Julia because she's a huge, huge star, not only just in starting, but just really all over Japanese. She's constantly on the cover of magazines, weekly pro wrestling magazine. I mean, you know, anytime you look on Twitter, you all you know, type in the word Julia. She's up always trending either before or after one of these big stardom pay-per-views as well. So I think it's just a matter of time before she's a household name, you know, over here in the States as well. That's Julia with a G. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, and yeah, she, I mean, she is a, a pinup model. She's, she's a gorgeous girl. That's something else I noticed about st- stardom. There's a lot of very pretty girls. It seems like almost that's one of the gimmicks of the company. These girls are all very much, like you said, look like they could be on the cover of a magazine. Yeah, but they can go as well. Well, they of course just, they can. I'm not saying they can't go, but I'm saying there is a definite vibe of, of these girls where you see them all. It looks like really a different style of Japanese women pro wrestling. Yeah, a lot has changed in the last 30 years, hasn't it, Rob? Right. Absolutely. A lot has changed. I mentioned it before, Rossi Ogawa starting JD Star, which is sort of the precursor for stardom. And that's very much what it was based on, good-looking women. And it's continued as to a certain extent. You look at, you know, the photo books that stardom put out and things like that. It's still very much prevalent in stardom, but we are moving towards, you know, that fantastic in-ring product as well. It's always going to help if you have the look. Always. It's, you know, it's pro wrestling. Sure. That's what wrestling's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Entertainment in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that helps, but I'd say... Wrestling has, uh, as as Matt said, it's certainly moved along in the last 30 years, definitely. Does Julia speak English, do you know? No. um, It was something we asked, actually, because obviously with her living very, very briefly in London, be born in London, um, as far as I'm aware, she doesn't know any English, or very, very little English anyway. Let's talk about how stardom began. We've mentioned Rosie Ogawa a few times. It's a guy, Rosie, R-O-S-S-Y. How did stardom begin? Um, Because it's actually been around for... 10 years plus, of, am I right? 2011, it started. Started in January 2011 with um, Nene Takahashi, right. who was obviously in all Japan Pro Wrestling towards the end of its existence. She was the first champion. Um, it started off as a small Joshi company, built its way up. It became the first Japanese women's promotion to run Korakuen Hall on a monthly basis, which for those who are listening and don't know what Korakuen Hall is, it's one of the premier venues in Japanese wrestling. It's a gorgeous venue. Sure. And it's where, especially early on, you want to be running and starting with the first company in, I can't remember exactly how many years, but they were the first company to actually have that monthly recurring show and doing good numbers as well. And then, of course, we had 
the three daughters, which Matt has already mentioned, Io Shirai, Kyrie, and uh, Mayu Iwatani, once they started hitting the ground running, we had just match after match, which was fantastic, and sort of drawing buzz for the company. All three women ended up in Lucha Underground in one of the weirder angles. <laughs> I believe they were the Black Lotus Triad at some point, yeah. which was an odd one. But yeah, that certainly brought some eyes to it, of course. And then, of course, Kyrie and Ia went to uh, WWE, where they've both done really, really well. But someone who we do need to mention is Yuzuki Aikawa, who initially was a graveyard idol. So sort of a pin-up, we talked about it earlier, Chris, um, sort of a pin-up model. That's what gra- What does graveyard mean? <laughs> Off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just it. I think it's just their style of pin-up model. Gotcha, okay. They yeah. basically appear on magazine covers, posters, and things like that. Um, well, let, me, let me look at it. Hold on. A, a graveyard idol yep. is a model, female model, the primary models for magazines, photo books, or DVDs. It's part of the overall idol industry in Japan. So there you go. Yeah, it's something that's completely <laughs> different to Western culture, completely different. Um, and it does take some getting used to. Right. But she transitioned full-time into wrestling, wrestled for about two, two and a half years. Her popularity in Japan was a huge contributing factor to stardom's initial success because you can't really put into words just how popular she was when she transitioned into wrestling. She didn't just transition into wrestling and sort of phone it in. She transitioned into wrestling and had... Really quite hard here matches. The one that jumps out, uh, Mako Satomura, who people might know as uh, she was NXT UK Women's Champion. You know, she's the founder of Sendai Girls in Japan. She's wrestled in Gaia Japan. She's a very, very scary lady, is Mako Satomura, and not someone you want to be engaged in strikes with. But Yuzuki Aikawa went strike for strike with her um, in a later career and really did herself quite proud. So to go from effective pinup model to very, very good wrestler, is really, really quite good. And again, she's a huge reason as to why stardom initially succeeded. Kind of like the first big star, I would say, Rob. Definitely. She was really kind of like the foundation. Or the, and then then obviously the freedom has really took it to, to the heights that we see it now. Yeah, definitely. Because there was a time, I mean, actually stardom derived, I'm just looking from world wonder ring stardom. Yeah. Which is <laughs> classic Japanese English, like Ice Ribbon. Yeah. Like what, you know, it's what a great name for a company. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it does seem, especially when you get to like pay-per-views, it does seem sometimes like they just seem to cram words together don't forget i I came from war wrestle and romance (laughs) of course of course possibly the biggest example (laughs) yeah i was the wrestler and lance storm was the romance (laughs) (laughs) whose idea was that his or yours (laughs) no that was that was tenru i don't know like you said i guess the romance of wrestling the dream of wrestling is where that came from is how it was described to you but like you said that is the japanese way of kind of almost putting three different words together and making a company from it or whatever you may have. Absolutely. Well, we just had a pay-per-view literally just this week called Fukuoka Goddess Legend, which did just seem like they'd thrust three words together. Fukuoka, obviously, where it's taking place, but then just added two words onto the end. But great show. But yeah, some very, very strange names. Yeah, even the tag teams like Thunder Rock. Yeah. (laughs) Who goes on double crazy. And then the former, they have trios belts there. So the one tag team is Micah, Himika, and Nasapoi. They're my Himmy boy. So it's like, it's just really entertaining where they come up. Sometimes Rob will text me, do you see the name for the show coming up? I'm like, no, but I'm sure I'm going to be entertained by it. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the history, historical moments in, in stardom. And one of the first ones that I remember seeing, which I didn't even realize was, was stardom, was when Kenny Omega wrestled the little girl. Yeah, um, really early on in Stardom's existence. So tell us how that came about and what the story is behind that. I honestly do not know. It's <laughs> something that I've looked back on, I've watched, and I'm I'm still not a hundred percent sure how this came about. Um, but yes, Kenny Omega, former AEW champion, former IWGP heavyweight champion, all round fantastic wrestler, did wrestle an eight year old girl and put on a relatively good match as well, which was you know even more impressive. It's one of those things where it's one of the things that people remember about stardom. Whenever you say, we do a podcast about stardom or we are covering stardom or whatever, people will always say, that the promotion with Kenny Omega and the eight-year-old girl? And you're like, 
yes, but there's there's more to it than uh, <laughs> Kenny Omega wrestling an eight year old girl. But it's it's something I do need to check out actually because I don't actually know how that came about, and I guarantee there's someone listening screaming <laughs> at the podcast going, "It was because of this." Let us know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> We don't need the exact details, but but the basic bottom line was Kenny wrestled a, a little girl, like almost like wrestling, you know, your daughter or your son or something like that. But it was in Corican Hall in front of people. Yeah, I think I, her name I think was Haruka. That's correct. Yeah. If you watch it, it like you said, it's actually a really good match, and you think, <laughs> oh, whatever, it's like ruining the business or whatever. And I, I hate that shit, man. It's like. You know, if it ruins the business, then why would we bounce off the ropes back at each other when someone throws us into it? So just the fact that Stardom even went for that, they obviously were probably looking for a gimmick to to put them on the map. And here we are 10 years later still discussing it. So it's definitely worth watching if you guys haven't seen it. Have you guys seen it? I've seen it, yeah. Um, while I was doing research for one of the books I was writing, um, it was one of the first things I watched because I was doing a little bit of history at the start. And I was like, I probably need to watch this Kenny Omega eight-year-old girl match. It genuinely, like I said, is not too bad. So uh, if you've got, I think it's only about, I don't even think it's 10 minutes long. Go and check it out. It's uh, it's freely available on YouTube. I think it's when Kenny was in DDT. So they were doing more of the, uh, <laughs> the right. crazier, yeah. crazier <laughs> stuff. DDT Kenny, yeah. Yeah. But like you said, Chris, it's like, oh, it's going to kill the business. Well, here we are 10 years later and stardom's bigger than it's ever been. One of the biggest wrestling companies in the world. So I guess Kenny didn't kill stardom so thanks kenny <laughs> yeah whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day eggs are a staple in our diets eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25 percent less saturated fat not only are they better for you but eggland's best eggs taste better too there's a reason that they're america's number one eggs Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Was there kind of um, a WWE raid, shall we say, on stardom? Because you've mentioned a couple of the, of the big stars. It kind of seems like they all all sort of uh, defected to WWE around the same time. Tell us which uh, of the girls left and how that affected stardom. We've mentioned them before, and we'll probably mention them again. Uh, Threedom, the three daughters of stardom, Kari Hojo, Io Shirai, and Mayu Iwatani. Mayu Iwatani is the only one who's been there since day one. That first event in 2011, I think it was called Birth of Nova. Um, she's the only one who has been there for the entire time. Io Shirai was a huge huge star in stardom held the world of stardom championship that top belt she held it for an enormous amount of time 546 days there you go i love how you just pulled those numbers out <laughs> <laughs> she put on absolutely incredible matches held it i think she had 14 successful title defenses and then 10 successful title defenses across the two runs she was money she was huge it was actually Kyrie who went to WWE first. And I think Io was supposed to go at the same time. Her neck. But I think failed. She failed. Yeah, she failed the physical because of her neck. And if you watch the matches, Chris, you'll find out why she's taken dragon suplexes on the apron and tombstones on the floor. I'm like, oh, that's probably why you, you failed the physical. But yeah, Kyrie <laughs> left the year before Io did. You're exactly right, Rob. Stardom have always had an influx of what they call gaijin talent, which is foreign talent. I don't need to tell you that, Chris, obviously, <laughs> having, uh, having been the Gaijin wrestler and user fan. But a lot of those wrestlers, people like Blair Davenport, B. Priestley, she's held the top title in stardom. She's now part of NXT. Um, Jamie Hayter, the current AEW Women's Champion, she was extremely good in stardom. But I think with Gaijin talent, a lot of what they do, they do a tour and then they will go and join... WWE, Impact Wrestling, AEW, or whatever. So it's seen, seen almost like a launching pad for some of the guys in talent, which is why it does seem like a lot of that talent does come from stardom. I think in terms of the Japanese talent, there's only really Kairi and Io Shirai who have come from stardom. Obviously, Io, again, absolutely tremendous, huge star. Kairi, huge star in stardom, did brilliantly on the main roster in WWE and then has come back recently as well to have fantastic matches with Mayu and uh, with Mercedes Monet, which you mentioned earlier. But it's mainly Io and uh, Kyrie who were the two main ones. They were the two big ones that uh, WWE managed to get. It does seem like a lot of the foreign talent that do come over to stardom, they kind of get more polished and have better matches. 
and then they'll go off to bigger pastures, greener pastures, mm-hmm. uh, bigger promotions. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind, uh, the two of them, really, you did say Blair Davenport, B. Priestley, who was had a really underrated run with the World of Stardom champion, but Tony Storm, who might be the best guy, Jing, oh, right, to, yeah, I mean, the only wrestler in the history of Stardom to win the Cinderella Tournament and the uh, Five Star Grand Prix in the same year. And she did help hold the Red Belt, the World of Stardom champion for quite a while as well. And then she eventually would go to uh, WWE and then now obviously part of AEW as well. So yeah, you, you do see a lot of the uh, former stardom talent on uh, national TV on a weekly basis. Why did uh, Kyrie come back to Japan? There's a couple of reasons. Um, I believe she got married. So that separation mm-hmm. from husband, I think is it's always going to be difficult, that distance. Sure. And I think as well, it, it's speculation, but it could have been the way she was used, things like that. I know she took two pretty gnarly bumps in her final few matches in the WWE, and it could have just been a case of, do you know what? I'm done with you know a full-time schedule because she's a freelancer in Japan at the moment, so she doesn't wrestle every show. Um, she only wrestles the big shows. She's parachuted in. So I think it was an amalgamation of a couple of things as to why she came back. Yeah, it's been a big deal since she's been back. Mm, absolutely. A huge deal, absolutely. There's an interesting story about Io Shirai. I don't know if you guys are, are, are knowledgeable about this, but I was reading about her in 2012. Yeah. Tell this story. You're nodding your head because I was just kind of looking through kind of some of the history of stardom. And this story is like, wow, it blew my mind. So let's let's talk about this, Rob. From what I remember, and again, memory is a bit spotty, but it was something to do with drugs. Io's boyfriend at the time, who I believe was Nosawa... Wrong guy. Wrong guy. Thank you. I knew it was Nosawa. I couldn't remember his last name, but there was something to do with... They'd done a tour in Mexico, I believe. Somehow, some drugs involved coming over the border. And it was... Eventually, it came down to someone that her boyfriend had beef with in Mexico, had planted the drugs on them as they came out of Mexico. Yeah. It's certainly a skeleton in Io Shirai's closet, and uh, it's something that not a lot of people realize. I never heard that story, and I'm the biggest Io Shirai fan in the world. So that's, just, that's why Rob writes the 42 books that uh, you know that he's writing right now. He's- well, okay, so this, this is actually on Stardom's Wikipedia page. So they had a painting of the two of them, That's right, Io and her boyfriend Osawa, who was it was given to them by a fan in Mexico when they came through the airport. They were arrested of trying to smuggle seventy five grams of marijuana, which was Thank hidden you. inside the painting. <laughs> now I don't know if you guys know this, but in Japan, it's not like it is here. Weed is not like oh, you can go buy it at the dispensary down the street or take it. Like it's a huge offense to have marijuana in Japan to the point where I think Matt Siddell was in jail for six months. Oh, wow. Paul McCartney even got busted and they put him in jail. He asked for an acoustic guitar. They said no. (laughs) So like, they're not messing around with this, this marijuana here. So the 75 grams in the painting, in a painting, which is like so diabolical. And we found (laughs) out that a Japanese based wrestler who lived in Mexico called Taikuya Sugi, confessed to planting the drugs on Shirai Nosawa yeah. uh, because they were mad at Nosawa and the uh, liaison, Masahiro Hayashi, who was the liaison between AAA and Japan, apparently the grudge of Nosawa, had promised <laughs> Sugi a contract extension with AAA <laughs> if he put the weed in the painting. I mean, it's a fairly impressive <laughs> smuggle, isn't it, really? Isn't Inside it? a painting. That's quite impressive. What was the painting of? Do we know? Now I'm curious what the painting was. Of them. Of, of them. Of the two of them. Oh. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the story of like, honestly, it's not mine. It's like, really? That's what you got? We didn't do it. It's a painting of you two. Who else's <laughs> yeah. painting is this going to be? <laughs> what a story that was. I thought that was worth mentioning because like, that's high-end uh, espionage there for sure. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more. More about some of the the the, the famous Gaijing, for example, that have gone through. You mentioned Tony Storm. Scarlet was through there for a while. I know that Mariah May, England's own, she's there right now. From what I understand, though, when you go there for stardom, when we go for like a, a New Japan tour or a WAR tour, especially back in the day, it'd be a three-week tour or series, as you called it, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you'd go and there'd be, you know, four or five shows a week. You get in the bus, travel in the country, and usually end it off with a big show in Tokyo somewhere. Stardom is not like that. These girls go over there from, you know, from America or Canada or England. They live there for six months or whatever it may be. And they work once a week, 
once every couple of weeks. It's a whole different vibe there. Kind of tell us how it is if you're a foreigner going over to, to Japan to, to train and, and work for stardom. It really seems like, especially the, you know, the borders have just opened back up a few months ago. So they're starting to bring the guys in talent. So you're talking about, uh, you just mentioned Chris Mariah May. She came in, she started uh, the beginning of the year in January. And I only seen a little bit of her, of her stuff. So I wasn't sure how she was going to fare. She's been here four and a half, five months, and you can just see every outing. She's just constantly improving. She's part of a new group called Club Venus, where Mina Shirakawa, who's the new uh, Wonder of Stardom champion, is the leader. And you can see that when they tag, we mention this almost every week on the show, Rob, that when they tag, you can just see her chemistry with Mina and the other members of Club Venus really gelling well together. And uh, Stardom, because they are doing more shows, um, it seems like she's getting work. She's on every one of those shows third match from the card, second, you know, semi-main event style match. And she's wrestling, you know, the Mayus, the Momos, the Starlight Kids, the Natsu Boys, where she's going to constantly be getting better. So you can, and you can tell that they're in the dojo and they're working and they're training because you can just see them constantly getting better week to week, month to month. And we know that whenever they're going to stay in stardom six months or a year, that whenever their time is up in stardom or if they want to stay there full time, they're just going to constantly keep getting better. But Mariah May is somebody that I just don't see in stardom for another year or so, just because not only is she great in the ring, she's very striking. Mm-hmm. She really, you know, catches your eye. I think I see her by the end of the year signed to one of the uh, the bigger companies. Yeah, she's a, she's a huge star in the making, definitely. Not only is she improving in ring, but her aura and the way she carries herself is really quite impressive talking again about all-star grand queendom the big show in april the english commentary team were originally supposed to have someone completely different on commentary but they got injured during the rumble at the, on the pre-show and mariah may had to step into commentary with no prep at all and just sort of thrust into commentary on a five-hour show five-hour show yeah <laughs> <laughs> very much stardom's wrestle kingdom you could tell from her commentary there that she knew wrestling she knew she loved wrestling you know she loved the psychology and things like that and she was commenting on that and i think that's a huge thing as well you mentioned longer tours initially there was quite a few gaijins like you mentioned chris that only did very very short tours on stardom so for example diana perrazzo had a short stint in stardom Britt baker i think had maybe five matches in stardom randy rhodes yeah, absolutely. So there have been earlier on the company those shorter runs for Gaijins. And actually, if you look at a lot of NXT talents, you know, Dakota Kai was in there or Evie as she was on the indies. You look at them and they had brief runs. However, now it's more of a an extended run. B Priestley was there for a number of years. Jamie Hayter, not quite so long, but I'm still bitter about her leaving. So Because of COVID, that's what it was. Her and B were the tag champs at the time, then COVID hit, and then they, they had to relinquish the belts, and you just wonder. You could just tell towards the end of that run, especially that uh, in 2019 with their Goddess of Stardom uh, tournament tag run, they were really gelling well together, and then COVID hit, and then it's like, man, you wonder what would have happened with Jamie Hayter and Stardom, and then you fast forward two years later, and she's at the top of the card at AEW, I'm like, that's what we would have seen in Stardom. Yeah. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Let's talk about another uh, classic uh, moment or kind of infamous moment, shall we say? If you guys know about the Saison matchy or also the yeah. gas, I love this, the ghastly <laughs> match. <laughs> Let's talk about the ghastly match, guys. This is uh, very controversial what happened here. Yeah, it's certainly, we talked about a skeleton in Neo Shirai's closet. This is certainly a a moment that stardom has desperately, desperately tried to scrub from his history. So back in February of 2015 in Corrigan Hall, the world of stardom champion at the time, Yoshiko, was taking on a woman called Akti Yasukawa for the championship. About eight minutes in, something like that, um, Yoshiko, for reasons unknown, went rogue and started very much assaulting Akti Yasukawa for real. 
broke orbital bones, her nose, her, there was contusions all over Act's face. Um, she already had a history of eye injuries. And obviously, this did not help. She was an absolute mess. And it actually took one of the wrestlers throwing in a towel for the referee to stop it. And it's that's another thing. The referee didn't stop it when he saw what Yushiko was doing. And if you look up images of Yushiko, she is a very, very powerful woman. Intimidating. Yeah. It was a whole thing. The injuries were very real from Act. Yushiko was stripped to the title and she was then obviously kicked out of the company. Nene Takahashi, who I mentioned earlier, she was Yushiko's mentor. She left the company as well off the back of this. Wow. This was how basically Seedling, another Joshi promotion in Japan, started because that was Nene's promotion after she left Stardom. It is a very uncomfortable watch if you haven't seen it. I'm not going to tell you where to see it because it is, <laughs> it's quite gross. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot to uh, turn my stomach, but Yushiko does a number on act. It's one of those where, similar with the Kenny Omega match, it's something that people know about Sardom. Yushiko has been back to the company since. Um, I mentioned that they'd run Budokan Hall in 2021. Yushiko had a special singles match, her first time back in six years to battle Mayu Iwatani. What a match. What a match. Yeah, yeah, great match. Great match. Phenomenal, must see. But the fact that she was allowed back was a massive thing. A massive, massive thing. But yes, oh, for the sure. ghastly yeah. match, as she's no, as it's known. Um, have you seen it, Chris? I haven't. I'm just checking it out. Diagnosed with a fractured cheek, broken nasal bone, broken mm-hmm. orbital bone, required surgery. Uh, there was 30% pay cut for the next three months to start and ban face punches from the promotion. Uh, they really took it seriously. There must have been a real shit kicking going on here. Oh, it was. It was utterly brutal. Utterly brutal. Mm. But uh, thankfully, obviously, it wasn't the end of the company, and the company has managed to do all right since. And thankfully, Yoshiko's a lot better now as well. She seems to be in a lot better place. Once again, that sort of stuff gets the type of press that puts your company on the map. It reminds me of the uh, Choshu Akira Maeda, where he kicked him in the face and broke his Shoot. orbital bone. Yep. That led to huge business between you know, UWFI and New Japan. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been interesting to see how they would have capitalized on that. But I think with just yeah. the injuries that Yasukawa ended up with, I mean, even if you Google pictures of her face after this match, she looks like a completely different person. It's crazy, Rob, because, you know, you, I understand, you know, getting to a little bit of a shoot in the ring or like, you know, a, a mistimed blow, but they must have just been beating the shit out of each other for multiple punches. And it was definitely uh, something that was being done on purpose for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think as well, what makes it more bizarre? There are there are rumors as to why this happened, but it's never been confirmed as to why Yoshiko flipped. I mean, these two, Akjaskawa and Yoshiko, had been in a stable together not long before this. So they knew each other. But an act, some people say it was a misplaced kick from act and that flipped Yoshiko and she just went to town. Mm. Some people think it was something to do with backstage politics and things like that. Either way, it ended in uh, a match that, you know, even eight years in the uh, in the future is still being talked about now for its level of brutality and its infamy. Yeah, we've noticed since the growth of stardom that that is one question that does come up from time to time for Rob and I to uh, to comment on it. So, uh, yeah, it's it is infamous, but at the same time, there's also that saying, Chris, uh, there's no such thing as bad press. So, yeah, this is very bad press. It's nothing to do with stardom as a company. But let's talk about the passing of Hannah Kimura, who um, was one of the biggest stars that stardom had. And just universally loved. Once again, just a very, very pretty girl, great wrestler. Talk about Hana, because it, it made it to the States. Because obviously, AEW, we have a big influx of Joshi, which, of course, Joshi, I don't know the exact definitions, but basically female wrestlers, Japanese female wrestlers, Joshi. And a lot of our fans know Hana. I didn't meet Hana, but I knew of her as well, because I was quite active in Japan around the time of her passing. So talk about Hana how big of a star she was and and what happened to to lead to her passing away by committing suicide, I believe. So Hannah Kimura was one of the most charismatic wrestlers I've ever seen in the ring. She connected with the crowd just fantastically. And she's one of the very, very few people that no one seems to have a bad word to say about her, whether it's 
Japanese wrestlers or Gaijin talent that have gone over. Yeah. People have nothing but good things to say. And because her English was quite good, a lot of the Gaijin talent sort of gravitated towards her. You know, people like Bobby Tyler and Zoe Lucas. Um, they were part of her stable, which was Tokyo Cyber Squad. They were a huge stable. And Hannah was in the middle of being pushed. She was on a Netflix show called Terraced House, which was on in Japan and got into an argument with someone on the show. It's a reality show, pretty similar to things like Big Brother. Do you have Big Brother in America? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. I didn't know if that was just yeah. an English thing or not. I'm not that foreign there, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I think Big Brother's in every country in the world now. You know, but we know the type of reality show that we're talking about here, though. Yeah. So Hannah was in Terraced House, um, had an argument with one of the people in the house. And I am condensing this, but the bloke had washed Hannah's wrestling gear. Hannah was about to take place the first time Stardom had been featured on a Wrestle Kingdom show, which is huge. And Hannah's gear got washed and it got ruined. She had a go at the bloke who had washed the gear. Um, and that was that. The volume of abuse that she got online ultimately led to a committing suicide. One of the happiest, friendliest, just pure people. I mean, we live in an age where you cannot get away from social media. Like, social media plays such a huge role in everything that we do, whether it's business, whether it's wrestling, whether it's entertainment, whatever it is. And uh, unfortunately, you can't get away from that. I remember really, really clearly going to bed one night and, or the night before, should I say, a message had come up, I think it was on Twitter, about she was posting images and someone's made contact with her, she's okay. So I went to bed and then by the time I got up, obviously she passed away. But it had a huge ripple effect on stardom, on the roster, on her best friend, Jungle Kiona, on Konami, who were her two best friends in a stable. And I think it's important to note just how much of an issue social media was in this and it came out afterwards that the entire argument was brought on by the producers the producers wanted more more drama controversy let's say right more heat yeah and it was sort of elevated for tv sort of exacerbated for tv and uh people unfortunately took it to be real well it's, it's terrible because she was only 22 years old i believe yeah, she was and you think, well, who cares about the online abuse of social media? But for a younger person, and maybe if she had some sort of issues too, it definitely led her down the wrong path to where she she did take her own life. And that, was there any type of repercussions for that at all? Or did anybody get arrested? Or was it just kind of like anonymous online burials? It's still ongoing. I know about five or six months ago, there was a report that came out that they were, they were going through all of Hannah's tweets and they were going to try to prosecute whoever it was uh, and then it kind of really didn't hear too much from it but i think from what i understand it's it's still ongoing you get to shame 22 years old uh, her mother was a wrestler as well i mean that's that's a parent's worst nightmare yeah uh, i can't even imagine you know i don't even want to talk about it but that's got to be a parent's worst nightmare and hana too uh back in 2018 2019 i just kind of want to just piggyback on some of the stuff rob said um a lot of the starting talent went over to ring of honor it was hana mayutani and Hazuki were you know three of the big ones that stand out and they said that Hana was just so well loved in that Ring of Honor locker room and clicked so well with everybody that it, again, yeah, she was just universally loved. And you still see a lot of wrestlers in stardom and just around the world pay tribute to Hana Kimura. Rob mentioned um, the match with Mercedes uh, versus Kyrie, where uh, Mercedes came out dressed up in Hana's gear, which I thought that was a great, great tribute. And even us on our own podcast, we always end the show with Hana's uh, her quote or her famous saying. Everybody's different. Everybody's special. Every show we end it with that because our little tribute, you know, to Hana to kind of keep her memory alive. Sure. Um, and you know, Chris, you've had friends in the business that passed away. I firmly believe I've had friends of mine, uh, you know, pass away. And I firmly believe that if you keep talking about them, you know, they'll stay alive forever. And I think Hana Kamar is one of those special talents that'll stay alive forever. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. 
Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Let's talk a little bit more about what's going on with, with Stardom now and just how huge it was for them to be purchased by Bushi Road, which, of course, is the owner of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's something that, of course, is going to happen. We all knew it would, but Japan is always so far behind. Women's wrestling was in one slot. Men's wrestling was in another. You rarely ever saw. I mean, we used to have some women's wrestling in, in WR just because I think we had to fill out the card. But I believe that was maybe LLPW or something along those lines. There was another mm. uh, name, like an ice ribbon thing. Obviously, there was a huge Tokyo Dome show in the 90s that was all women's wrestling that tore the house down, sold it out, 48,000 people. But like I said, it was always kind of in its own lane. But now here we are where Bushi Road owns the men's top wrestling company and owns the women's top wrestling company and kind of combines the two. So Mm. talk about that relationship and how it happened and how the Japanese people seem to have now accepted women's pro wrestling in Japan as equal to the men's. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. There has always been that sort of divide between men's wrestling and women's wrestling in Japan. They were kept very, very separate. I mean, until 20th of November, we'd never had an IWGP Women's Championship. And eventually we've got one. I mean, that in itself is a huge deal. The fact that women's wrestling is going to be on the biggest New Japan cards on a Wrestle Kingdom, on a Dominion. To get talent like Mercedes Monet and people like that involved in that picture is obviously huge as well. But for stardom, the positives are endless. I mean, even they did a joint show in November called Historic Crossover, which drew 7,000 people. Now, that's stardom's highest ever attended show their sole attended show the highest record i think is six and a half thousand which uh dave Meltzer reports were the people inside yokohama arena but to wrestle in front of seven thousand people that simply wouldn't have happened without the purchase from bushi road right to have that exposure in front of people and this is this is before mercedes monet and before the bump she bought to stardom the fact that you know these fantastic women's wrestlers are wrestling in front of 1,000, 2,000 people at their top-end shows. I think they're they're highest at that point. There was one that was 5,500 in Sumo Hall, but that's sort of a disputed number. I think that's sort of inflated WrestleMania style. (laughs) But I think sort of 3,000 was sort of their their top-end. So to more than double that pays testament to just how much this Bushi Road takeover has helped. And... Again, we talk about Mercedes Monet. I don't think Stardom would have had the money without Bushi Road to be able to have a talent like Mercedes Monet for one match, let alone the matches that she's had, the matches that we've been able to watch. So I know that some diehard Stardom fans, when the purchase was first announced, were not happy because they feared for a change of direction for Stardom. Everyone fears change. Everyone fears the unknown. But ultimately, you look at the progress the company's made, you look at the projection the company is on, I feel like there's only positives to come out of this purchase. You know, more than financial, like I've said, it's exposure as well, which has been huge for the company, huge. Yeah, you look back at that joint show that Rob just talked about, the historic crossover show. Like Rob said, over 7,000 people attended that show. And the main event was the finals of the IWGP Women's Championship match with Mayu Utani versus Kyrie, and that was also a show that had the uh, the final Great Muda New Japan match. It had, you know, Okada was on the show, Tanahashi was on the show. There was a lot of star power on that show, mm. but that main event was Mayu versus Kyrie, which is critically acclaimed as one of the best matches of the year, not just in Japan, but mm. in, you know, the world as well as the, those two of the, the two of them, Mayu and Kyrie, definitely tore the house down. So that was definitely a statement from Bushi Road saying, okay, we have, we have the Great Muda in. He, this is his last New Japan match. Okada's on the show. Tanahashi's on the show. Obviously, we have the starting wrestlers on the show, but we want the main event to be a, a women's match. And you had, you know, again, two of the three daughters of stardom, Kyrie versus Mayu. And I thought that was a really big statement from Bushi Road to put that match on last. And it sure did deliver. Oh, it did. Last few things, sir. I was going to mention this before. I just remember talking about the high speed championship and w- what exactly is that? Because it's very unique just to stardom, I think, right? Yeah, it was. Initially, it was a belt from a wrestling company called Neo, uh, Neo Japan, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. It was bought over. And basically, the best comparison I can draw is it's like a cruiserweight title 
if it's taken sugar. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a belt where you sort of look at the quicker wrestlers. And though, you know, you do get that sort of athleticism and things like that, it's all about the pace. It's all about the speed at which they do it. And there was a match in 2022, Azumi versus Starlight Kid, two of the biggest rivals in stardom. They're both 20 and 21, I think, respectively. Incredible talents. Azumi's held the belt for something like 450 days. Incredible wrestler, but... That match goes 17 minutes, which is unusual for the high-speed towel because it's so quick that you tend to have 10 minutes and less, the match running times. But this match went 17 minutes and it got everyone talking. I'm talking Dave Meltzer, who doesn't talk massively about stardom. He was lavishing praise on it. Will Ospreay, for example, you know, who else better to talk about junior heavyweight wrestling than the man himself, Will Ospreay, he was talking about how good this match was and encouraging people to check it out because it was such a frenetic pace. If you take nothing from this podcast, definitely go and check out Azumi because she's one for the future and at 20 years old, she's she's only got upside, definitely. Yeah. It's a championship that is very unique and certainly breaks up the card. Yeah, not only that, but sometimes you watch the matches and I get blown up. A lot of times uh, when we're talking <laughs> on the podcast, I'm like, man, I feel bad for the referee because they're getting towards the end of the match. It's like one, two, one, two, up, one, two, one, yeah, two. exactly. <laughs> it's all those quick falls. And I'm like, like they start real fast and then they, they start bringing in different elements of psychology, especially Zoomy with working the arm and whatnot. But you have obviously Zoomy, Starlight Kid, Natsupoi is a phenomenal uh, high-speed wrestler, Koguma as well. Um, and they're all the ones that even if they're not having an official high-speed match, if you see them in a tag match, or a six-person tag. It's like, oh, you know you're going to get some high-speed spots here, so don't blink. But yeah, Izumi is definitely the uh, the master at it. Yeah, Hazuki's the one that really, a few years ago, that set the pace of those under 10-minute matches. And you go back and watch them, like, oh, I wonder how this is going to be. It's like seven, eight minutes of like the best wrestling you'll ever see. And by the time that you get done watching, like, man, I need a nap. I'm exhausted just watching <laughs> that. So you can tell they do a lot of the blow-up drills there, Chris, in the Stardom Dojo. <laughs> It's interesting to me. There's so many girls there in their early 20s. You know, you mentioned all of those names that you said, Starlight Kid and, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old. It seems that stardom is kind of the hot thing right now. And that's what wrestling is all about, about, be, about catching on as being something cool. If they're getting that many younger women to show up at the dojo to train, it must be all the rage right now. Stardom seems like it's kind of like where all Japan women was back in 1986, 87. I mean, that's got to be where they want to be because that is the golden age of Joshi wrestling, that 1980s, early 1990s, all Japan women's. Sure. But you mentioned about um, Starlight and Azumi. I think Azumi's been wrestling since she was 11. Yeah. Which is mental when you consider that she's 20 and has already got nine years experience. Right. I think because the dojo system is so good and because they do come in so young, the talent roster is bafflingly good. I mean, you've got... Hard hitters like, for example, Micah. And though she didn't come through the stardom dojo system, she came through Michinoku. Uh, not Michinoku Pro. It's because it's owned by Taka Michinoku. Mm. Just tap out, sorry. I think she's mid-20s. I don't think she's that old. Momo Watanabe's 23, you know? The roster's so young, which means that they've got so many years in front of them. I mean, Mayu Iwatani's 28, I think, now. And she's talking about retiring. Wow, yeah. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Please don't. She's incredible, but... It does speak volumes for the stardom dojo system. And obviously, if they, you know, the bigger the company gets, the more women, as you mentioned, the more young girls are going to want to train at that dojo. They're going to want to be a part of this because it is on the way to being something special and a special time for Joshi wrestling as well. Yeah, not only that, but then there's, there's three sisters that are wrestling for stardom. You have Hana, who's the oldest sister, who just turned 18. And you can just tell she's got future star written all over. And by future star, I mean the next four or five months. Mm -hmm. And then you have the two twin sisters, Arena and Hina. They're both 16 years old. So the fact is like, yeah, my older sister, she's the one that's wrestling. And then it's just like you have the two daughters. And it's funny, Chris, because sometimes when they'll we'll review or preview these shows and they'll be maybe like, it'll be like in the fall. and It'll be a show maybe on a Thursday or Friday. Like, where's Han, Arena, or Hina? Rob would be like, well, they're in school. I'm like, oh, really? They're missing shows to be in school? <laughs> Dick Murdoch's rolling Lame. over his grave. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Last question for you guys. Uh, what's the best match that you've seen in stardom that if people are listening now and have never heard of stardom or they're just listening and hearing about it for the first time, what's the match they should go check out to find out what exactly the magic of this company is? Oh, Jesus. You first, Mr. Goodwin. <laughs> so there's, there's two for me. 
In 2016 and 17, there was a feud between Mayu Otani and Io Shirai, two of the biggest women's wrestlers in stardom, and they put on three. You know, good things always come in threes. Trilogies are always good, and uh, their trilogy was incredible, but their second match at the end of 2016 is still just 17 minutes of pure venom. It's fantastic, thoroughly worth checking out. We talk about, you know, dragon suplexes on the parquet flooring and all sorts. It's brutal to watch, but such a good match, such a good match. And it's one of those where you can watch it as part of the trilogy and it tells a great long story, or you can watch it as one and it's such a great chapter. And then secondly, Yutami Hayashishita versus Shuri from Tokyo Dream Cinderella, which uh, Meltzer broke his scale for, I believe. I believe it's Meltzer's highest rated women's match ever. So, you know, take of that what you will. Obviously, wrestling's completely subjective, but this match was just everything you want. It was emotion. It was hard hitting to the point where even Rossi Ogawa is caught up in the emotion and they go to a 30 minute time limit draw and then they add some more time on. They go to a double knockout and it's just, it's everything you want from pro wrestling. I am going to give myself a sort of plug. I very rarely do this, but I am currently writing a book called Chasing the Dream 50 of Storm's Greatest Matches and that'll be out at the end of the year. So there you go. Go and check that out. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Uh, it's so, so funny because Rob is, I mean, I'm over here in the States and Rob's in England. We never actually met before. We have so much in common. And my two favorite stardom matches are the two matches he just talked about. That Mayu versus Io trilogy. I mean, we talk about the great trilogies in wrestling history. You talk about Steamboat and Flair. You talk about Punk and Joe and Ring of Honor. And more recently, Omega Okada. I'm not saying this trilogy is better than them. It's in the same conversation. Mm. Go out of your way and, try, and watch them in a row. Watch them in a row because you just see how it builds. But uh, obviously, I knew Rob was going to go. That's why I went. I tagged him in first. I knew that's what he was going to pick. I don't want to steal his thunder. I'm a, I'm a big fan of tag team wrestling. And probably the start of match that I've seen the most, which I think people need to go out of the way to see, is Kyrie uh, when she was Kyrie Hojo, teaming with Mako Satomoro to take on Maiwi Watani and Io Shirai. As good as, and mm-hmm. they were better rivals, but they were great tag partners as well. And they were known at Mayu and Io, known as a team of Thunder Rock. It's uh, not only my favorite tag match in stardom, but I put it up there's one of the greatest tag matches I've ever seen with uh, Rock and Rolls, Midnights, anything with the Briscoes, FTR, Young Bucks, Masao and Kabashi versus Holy Demon Army. I mean, I absolutely love this match. Go out of your way to see it. Again, it's Kyrie and Mako Satomaro versus Io Shirai and Mayu Iwatani. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but quite possibly the single greatest moonsault in the history of wrestling <laughs> happens in this match. <laughs> it is good. 